Hello, um, welcome to the Beginners Mindset Living Room Podcast. And this is your host, uh, Taki Musa. And I would like to uh, welcome you uh, to tune in to our show tonight. And I have a special guest who will be introducing himself uh, shortly. First of all, thank you again for the opportunity. I think your podcast is a wonderful idea and I'm honored to be a part of it. Um, my name is Akif Aliyev. I'm uh, an American national. I was born in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I lived there until um, my father got a job abroad and then we ended up moving around quite a bit. I'm also partly from Azerbaijan and yeah. uh, I unfortunately never got the chance to live back home, but I visited Azerbaijan on many occasions. Uh, yeah. Most of my life, I ended up living in the Middle East and Gulf area due to my father's occupation. Uh, and it was a very eye-opening experience. I got to uh, get in contact with a culture and a tradition that was not very well known to me. Um, yeah. I, After finishing high school, I had a deep-rooted interest in politics to begin with, which is what prompted me to come to Holland and study at Leiden University. But over okay. time, I feel like uh, my interests have kind of branched out a little bit more into the arts and humanities direction, as well as uh, just playing politics, because I realized that uh, playing politics wouldn't be the best way to implement my, uh, my desires for what I wanted to do. So I'm currently doing a minor degree in digital yeah. humanities. I'm 22 yeah. years old. And I also manage, uh, I co-manage an art collective that I founded with another partner of mine from Utrecht City. Uh, and yeah. I would say that's kind of my passion project. I think that would be oh. a nice uh, basic explanation of who I am. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you mentioned that you have been to, you were born in the US, but you have been to uh, a, a number of countries. Uh, do you mind just to take us through that route, uh, which For countries sure. that you have been to? Uh, and uh, you also mentioned about the, the time that you spent in the Gulf. That was uh, an eye-opener for you in terms of the culture. So if, you, if you can talk about that as well. Um, well, I ended up leaving uh, for the first time from the United States when my father got a job in Saudi Arabia as part of a, a petrochemical company in which he works for uh, trying to find a more environmental and sustainable approach to petrochemicals. Yeah. Um, and that was the first time that we moved to the capital of Saudi Arabia, Riyadh. Okay. Uh, it was a very interesting experience, but as I was quite young at the time, I don't really recall most of the beginning phase of me living there. I yeah. do recall, though, it was a very expat-run city in many senses. It was a lot more multinational than I would have expected. And okay. oddly, uh, there was a larger presence of a Western society than I would expect. So it was quite interesting to see that. Um, then due to some uh, political turmoils in the area, we ended up moving to Kuwait for a short period of time. And okay. that was because my uh, mother's uh, father, so my grandfather from my mother's side, was working as a diplomat in the embassy of Azerbaijan there. So that was a, a, a good chance for us to be able to go and uh, check out Kuwait for some time. Okay. Uh, in this period of time, uh, due to school closures because of the turmoil, I also had one chance to live back in Azerbaijan, uh, yeah. but it was very short-lived as well, just under a year. Uh, and ever since, we moved back to uh, Riyadh again, and I ended up staying in Riyadh until uh, finishing my 
my high school. And then after that, I directly moved to Holland. So it wasn't a lot of moving around to different countries, but it was a lot of moving around within the same countries that uh, that I was associated yeah. with. Yeah, but, but I think even within that and uh, from what you have just said, um, the... Um, the, the the different cultures that you find, especially on the the, the Western uh, uh, people that you found, for example, within Saudi Arabia, they also presented a different dynamics to to Absolutely. what you were expecting. Yeah. Absolutely, it was a culture that was very different from um, other cultures in the Middle East, to be honest. Because before going to live in the Gulf, um, I think it's a common assumption everyone makes that uh, Gulf culture is quite representative of the greater Arabic culture. Um, but yeah. that was very different from what I thought. For example, my friends from areas such as Syria and Palestine and Egypt or, or even North Africa like uh, uh, Morocco and Tunisia and stuff presented a culture that was very different to Gulf culture. And in fact, I think Gulf culture was a culture that was more accommodating in certain senses of Western pretenses than maybe some other cultures would. So I was able to kind of identify uh, some of the finer differences between um, let's say, different subcultures within the uh, Arabian world that I never would have known about unless I got the chance to actually live in the region. So I oh. definitely think it was a good experience. As with everything, it had its ups and downs, but uh, it helped me to become a more introspective person, I would say. Okay. If there's uh, one thing that you can say, uh, and you're free to, to, uh, to, to answer this question or to give a <laughs> remark or not, uh, just to to uh, clear some misconception about the uh, maybe because we are talking about the Gulf where you live, uh, is there anything that you you may want to say in in a way of uh, clearing uh, misconceptions that many people uh, who have not had the chance to live there or even to to visit for a longer period have. Um, I would say the misconceptions would be that um, the Gulf is uh, some sort of a backward society. I was actually quite surprised at the fact that, uh, at least in industrial senses, the development I saw in the Gulf was a level of development that I often did not see anywhere else in the world. And this is obviously not a representative of society or societal problems and whatnot. Um, but that was something that was very surprising. And I think another thing that was surprising was that I don't think people should take um, Arabian culture at face value and assume that, uh, let's say, the Gulf is a representative of um, of religion, for example, of Islam, or the Gulf is a representative of other subcultures in the Arabian world, such as North African Arabians. Or it's it's uh, very different and it's a very specific culture of its own. So no. I think that would be the main thing. There isn't, to me, a specific overarching Arabian culture. And once you get to be in that society, you really get to see that, that uh, there are very specific nuances uh, that yeah. make the Gulf very, very, very different, even politically and socially uh, from the rest of the Arabian world, as with uh, most places. It's like, for example, assuming that um, uh, Turkey and uh, Uzbekistan have the mm -hmm. same sort of culture because they're both Turkic countries, but there's yeah. also very big differences. So I think the yeah. same applies to the Arabian world for sure. Alright. I would also uh, like to talk to you about the um, um, the decision that you made to come to Holland to study. 
Absolutely. Uh, because you mentioned that you once you finish high school, you you came to study in Holland. Uh, how did that come about? Uh, because yeah. uh, it's yeah, it's, it's just interesting to find out how 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 you made that decision to come to Holland yeah. and not probably go to the U.S. or go to England. It's a question I ask myself a lot, uh, to be honest, as well, simply because it was not a procedure that I had pre-planned in my head. Um, I remember in my final year of university, uh, not university, I'm sorry, of, of high, high school. school. Yeah, uh, because I had studied my whole life in a British school. I yeah. had essentially assumed that it would be logical of me to go to the UK for university. However, mm. being so surrounded by that culture, I felt the need to kind of branch out and look for something new. And I ended up applying to Holland as an experience because one of my best friends at the time in my school was from Holland. So I had gotten the chance in my last year of high school before uh, the application procedure to visit Holland and hang out with him in his uh, town in Eindhoven for a week. And okay. I was really surprised at how different it was to everything I had assumed because it was very common in my school by the staff to be told that oh, you know, Holland's a bit different. Not many people know English there. You're going to struggle to fit in. So you create this sort of preconception that, uh, you know, they know what they're talking about. But I came here and I was very wrong and I decided it would be a great experience. So I applied to university here with no prior experience to the Dutch society. I never had come here on a holiday, even apart from that one single week to see my friend. Yeah. Um, and I got accepted and I've been here ever since. I'm okay. very glad that I have been here. Okay, so happy with your decision. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I was able to see something new. And it was, a, it was a step out from what I'm used to, because if I were to go to the UK, I know I would be surrounded primarily by the same people that I went to school with, because it was very common that if you went to a British school, you go to the UK to study. Okay. Um, so it wouldn't have felt like stepping out of the box as much. Um, yeah. And I was able to create new friends and new links that maybe I would have never been able to make. And some of these I appreciate dearly and have become family to me so I'm okay glad. all right and and in terms of your studies uh so where are you now um uh towards the completion and uh what, what are the plans after after that i am currently in the exam week of my last uh, of my first semester of my last year um yeah. this program is called international studies it's a bachelor program a bachelor of arts yeah. uh, when i primarily moved to Holland to start in this university, I was actually doing a different program called International Relations and Organizations, which was a science program. Yeah. I decided to uh, move away from that program pri primarily because I felt like it was very boxed into theory rather than applicability. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm very glad I did the switch. I really like the study. I'm specializing in Russia and Eurasia as well as the Russian language. And then I have my minor on the side as well. So I'm two semesters away from graduating, if all goes to plan. Okay. So are you fluent uh, in Russian? Unfortunately not, but I was very lucky to be able to have a, a step ahead when I began the course because Azerbaijan used to be part of the USSR. And yeah. so both my parents are quite fluent in Russian. And often my extended family, when I would visit them, would uh, have a very big fluency in Russian. Yeah. Also, in Azerbaijani, a lot of Russian words have been adopted naturally because of being part of oh, the Soviet okay. Union. So once I started the course, I started to realize, like, oh, we use this word back home and stuff. And that gave me a bit of a head start. 
I would say yeah. I'm able to be conversational in Russian, but it's quite a difficult language precisely because every word has a gender and there's many, many tenses. I think in total, if I'm not mistaken, there's 15 different types of tenses that can be applied to the language. Wow. So, really? yeah, that's that's quite hard. But I, I can fluently read, which is something I'm proud of. I've been able to learn oh. the Cyrillic alphabet so far. Oh, we'll well see how done. Thank you very yeah. much. I guess it comes yeah. down to practice at this point. The university gave me what it can gave me. Um, yeah. I have to stay on top of it and uh, keep practicing. All right. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So, um, yeah, five years from now, maybe two, three, four, five years from now, where, where do you think you'll be? Um, I, when I moved to Holland for the first time, uh, after my first or second year, I think I was very much down to maybe get a new experience. I had a plan to go and maybe live in South America for a little bit. I've always been attracted to South America, the climate, the environment, the culture, the warmth, um, something that many people maybe don't feel exists as much in Western Europe, where it's a bit more individualistic as a society. But after we started the Art Collective with my, um, with my co-founder, and after I met a lot of people who were interested in such a platform existing, I think I shifted my mind a little bit to maybe stay here longer, perhaps do my yeah. master's degree here and pursue the art collective a bit further, uh, primarily because a lot of work has been put into it and I would feel kind of guilty personally to leave it aside after all the effort we've put into it. So I guess at least for the coming several years, I expect or at least I hope that I will be within Holland or at least greater European area. But you never know, life is, uh, today life is all over the place with COVID on yeah. one side and closures. So maybe I don't really have a choice either. So, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Well, I guess all what you can do is just to try and plan things out, but then the rest you leave it to how they're, they're going to happen, I suppose. Precisely, yeah, there's no real yeah. way I can know at this point, but my desire is to stay here a bit longer, I would say. In the, the art collective uh, uh, project that you work on, uh, it's uh, is that a, a, um, an organization that you formed? Is that do, do you want to talk about it a bit? Sure, I could explain it. Um, so we founded a little collective some about I, I would think about eight months ago with some friends of mine called State of Being, and yeah. the idea in the beginning was that we wanted to create a grassroots platform. So to call it an organization, I would say it's an organization, but it's not technically registered as an organization, or at mm -hmm. least not officially speaking. Um, yeah. And it was created with the purpose of trying to create an insider group network where we could answer each other's problems and questions without having to rely on financial capability, for example. So say okay. that we have an individual who has a very wonderful idea for a movie script, but unfortunately they don't have access to the correct cameras and the equipment and whatnot. And then yeah. we have another member of our team who is an amazing videographer, but he doesn't have access to a script. So our idea was to bridge those gaps and yeah. possibly create a small community of international artists and thinkers here within The Hague, as well as in the broader uh, Netherlands slash Belgium slash UK area, where yeah. we can, together we can piece up the puzzles of our ideas and we can bring them into reality without having to rely on sponsorship or major organization. Kind of like a 
I scratch your back, you scratch mine type of organization. Okay. But it's been branching out quite a bit, and we are hoping to kind of move into a bit of the educational world as well, perhaps provide lectures and seminars on topics that are less covered within university or oh, within our spaces, provide... That's uh, interesting, yeah. Yeah, to provide information exchange for, for example, friends who want to become music producers, we have them so they can give free lessons. Uh, yeah. We want to collaborate with some other NGOs, hopefully, one which I am currently in talks with. We want mm -hmm. to set up activism classes for proper activism, how to avoid misinformation, how to advocate for causes without damaging people uh, in the process of doing so. So the, there's many, many ideas, and I don't think I could ever give one definition to what exactly it is, but I think calling it a community would be the best way. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, it's uh, from from what you have just explained, I, yeah, I, I understand. And uh, I think it's quite uh, a brilliant uh, initiative. And uh, I think it's going to go a very long way to uh, to help course. out. Yeah, many, many people. Yeah. Um, so uh, at, the, at the moment, we have um, a new wave of... Um, of COVID-19 absolutely, uh, and the restrictions that are coming with it. Uh, and before that, we had the first wave where it was a total lockdown uh, yeah. pretty much around the world. And uh, I just would like to know uh, how either at the, at the first round during the, the first wave of the lockdown or currently or both, how, how have you been impacted by by these um, restrictions that have been put on, and yeah. uh, maybe also uh, the the people closest to you, and this could be your family, your friends, and the community Absolutely. that you belong to. Yeah, it's been a very interesting procedure. In the first phase of the lockdown, was unfortunately as we were starting the art collective, so we were heavily impacted by having to shut down all of the events that we had planned, and yeah. we had to think very quickly on the spot on how are we going to change our ways and fit the digital world seemingly that was the only source of information that was available right. that didn't require mm -hmm. human contact so what we ended up doing was we moved to the social media spectrum which is when we founded the instagram account and stuff and we yeah. started an initiative where we turned a portion of our living room into kind of like a live dj set Okay. Platform where different DJs could come and then we would create a COVID safe space, you know, keep distance, no invites, just simply the DJ and his platform and he would pr produce music. So that yeah. was kind of our first impact where we had to cancel all of our events and nearly had to close the entire collective. But this helped us to learn how to um, adapt into a social media world. Uh, yeah. In terms of my family, it's been quite tough because uh, my father is still finishing his work contract in uh, Riyadh, where uh, the COVID closures are a lot more stricter than, for example, here in the Netherlands. So yeah. the borders closed, uh, visa opportunities were cancelled, and unfortunately, I haven't had the chance to see him in just about over a year at this point. Oh, really? um, yeah, because of the closures. And yeah. the same goes for my mother, brother, and sister, who are living in Azerbaijan, where the regulation for COVID has been a lot more tougher than at least here in Western Europe, where herd immunity was kind of the way they started to take, yeah. which meant that not only were the borders closed, 
but they would close very frequently and open and close and open and close, which meant that it was very risky for me to go visit them because if the borders were to close and I was yeah. stuck there, the university that I'm currently at hadn't adapted fully to this yeah. reality. So it could have very much affected my ability to graduate. So now that everything has kind of settled and the university has found how to cope with this, I considered possibly going back and staying with them for some time. But there's also the art collective here and I would have to somehow find a way to be involved with that, which would be difficult. So yeah. the decision with my parents, we've kind of decided to wait until I graduate, uh, right. which is quite emotionally hard because it means I would only be able to see them in nearly a total of two years. It's been a year now and I won't be able to see them at least until June and, or July of my coming graduating year. That's right. But uh, well, what such is you, life, yeah? Yeah. Such is life. You live and you learn. I have nothing I could do to that. It's the reality that we live in today. Yeah. Thankfully for the internet, at least I'm able to stay in contact with them from time to time. Um, be able to talk to my younger brother and sister, help yeah. those bonds to stay, because I feel like in Azeri culture, um, family bonds play a massive role. And maybe yeah. that's possibly why I've been struggling a lot to come to terms with this. Yeah. But we, I'm learning and it's going well, I would say. Okay. It's been an interesting roller coaster uh, of a ride. So, um, since uh, when you came to Holland, that was, uh, uh, if I understood correctly, that was the first time that you were. Uh, away from your family for an extended period of time to be on your own. Yeah, I would say so. I've been on um, various school trips here and yeah. there, often alone, but not in a situation where I was not able to contact my family. Holland was my first living abroad experience. It was yeah. my only living abroad experience away from my family. Um, and the thing is, because I never grew up back home in Azerbaijan, I yeah. never had much of a connection unfortunately to my extended family so visiting my cousins my grandmother's aunts and uncles was always uh, almost a treat it was not something that I, I never felt that I was able to connect with the wider spectrum of my family so right. the only individuals that I inseparably knew as family my whole life was my mother father brother and sister and suddenly for that to be taken away yeah in the blink of an eye was uh, a learning experience for sure it was trying in the beginning but then again, it's part of life. It's it's you have to learn to do that. And I feel like we found a nice middle ground. I've become a lot more independent. I'm learning how to manage my life by myself. Um, right. But I never had the prior experience. Yeah, it was the first time in 20. Okay. So considering that you did not have any uh, prior experience, uh, you are you are not the first one, and you will not be the last not. one. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm I'm sure there will be some younger people out there who either are going through the same experience or they're about sure. to embark on this journey. And uh, what would you, what advice would you give it to them uh, in terms of how to, uh, to keep their sanity and how to, to remain yeah. stable within this, um, this change or the transition that they do from moving from uh, being with the family and moving to, uh, uh, to live independently in a foreign uh, country? I would say the best uh, advice that I could give is to be more accepting of the failures. I remember in the beginning, I kind of felt like I was 
10 steps behind everyone by being like, oh, how do you use a tram? How do you uh, open a bank account? How do you do this and how do you do that? These were all experiences that were very new to me and I didn't know how to cope with them. So I would say that's probably the best experience I can give uh, and the best advice I could give to be accepting of um, the stress that you will go through and uh, the learning procedure that you will go through. It's not an overnight procedure. And certainly, like you're saying, they won't be the first and they won't be the last. It's probably something that all of us go through. Um, Learning to live alone, pay your rent, do your groceries, eat healthy without having your mom cook for you. These are all learning procedures. It's part of life. And not to be shy of going through the difficulties. It's, It's not, they're not alone. That's what I would say. Yeah. Well, it's beautiful to hear that. Um, I'm sure there, there will be a lot of people that will benefit from what you have said, maybe just to validate what they think. I would hope so, yeah. Or, or just to open up their eyes. Uh, and since you talk about, uh, uh, you know, accepting these difficulties and uh, failures, uh, as you call them, uh, I would like just to talk about the, the, the opposite of that, which is uh, success. And uh, in the broadest sense that we can talk about, but from your personal perspective, how do you, how do you define or how do you see uh, personal success uh, in, in your life? Um, for me, what was the most difficult journey that I felt the most success from was trying to find out what it is that I want to do with my life. Because a lot of us assume that coming to university and signing up for a program is kind of the end of the roller coaster where you are like, oh, okay, I figured out what I'm doing. This is yeah. it. This is what I'm going to work for for the rest of my life, which for me was absolutely the opposite. I came here, <laughs> I started a political program, and I very quickly realized that the things that I want to achieve uh, was not going to be done through politics because there is a much larger agenda. There's a lot more going on in politics than just the one individual. Yeah. And studying it was kind of a bit of a, a bit of an emotional downer, to be honest, when you're progressing in the study and the more you're progressing, the more you're realizing like, oh, no, no, this is, this this is not what I thought. Yeah, yeah. What I thought it was going to be. So I think that's where I would say my greatest success to me personally was found was yeah. that I was, uh, I guess, brave enough, I would say, to be able to not just confront my parents who are from an Eastern society where to tell them I'm stopping a study is you know, the equivalent of doing something very, very bad. So yeah, that was uh, something that I was able to explain to them and show them an alternative study that I feel I connected more with. Yeah. I, was, I took that step and I didn't continue studying something that didn't connect with me. Um, and from there, I feel like I flourished a lot more because I ended up founding the art collective with my friends. I ended up... Uh, Uh, expanding into things that I've always wanted to achieve in life and finding the ways to do that. So I think my greatest success was being brave enough to confront myself and confront um, the realities of what is it that I want to do? And should I conform to what I thought was the right thing to do? Or should I be brave enough to step out of it and once again venture into the murky darkness of looking for what's the next thing I want to do? I think that was my greatest success. Okay, that's uh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so the the other thing that I would also like uh, to talk about is, um, is I know it's a, it's a it's a big thing, uh, and it's about the um, 
promoting understanding in the world uh, where the intention is actually to as you know as individuals we, we become more understanding of one another uh, ethnically maybe religiously then yeah. we uh, or racially then uh, then we tend to have uh, uh, to accept more of our differences and then move together and I just wonder, uh, from your perspective, uh, in terms of the, the studies that you have done and the experience that you've had in your life, uh, what can you say about that, that in terms of what should we, uh, people as individuals, what should we, what should our contribution be in, uh, in promoting this uh, understanding for the sake of uh, breeding harmony and, and cohesion among the people? It's a very good question. I think it's a beautiful sentiment to um, put out there. I think uh, if I were to be speaking about life experience, yeah. a little bit of luck played into that because I went to an international school my whole life. So I was able to be surrounded by people who were directly from these communities. And I was able to receive information about these communities from people who were participants of it rather than from the news or from media. So I think one of the main sort of red flags I would put out there is that people should definitely form their opinion based on individuals who are representatives of these communities rather than to form it in accordance to what we read and what we consume. Because unfortunately, the reality of world media is it is a money run industry and it does work to serve interests. There yeah. are people who inject money into certain topics to uh, take out certain results. So I think uh, the best representative of uh, cohesion within a community is to be yeah. able to pass the borders and speak to people themselves. Um, with relation to my study, because it's international studies, I feel like I had to do that because that's simply the experiences that I've had my whole life. I was able to learn more about procedures and how cultures are formed, how languages are formed. And okay. I think being able to bridge that gap of that we all came through the same procedures made me realize that there is very little making us different to everyone else, but there is a lot connecting us to everyone else. So I think it would be this understanding that no matter who it is that is standing in front of you, their yeah. path to uh, their community, their path to realizing who they are, their representation of their traditions and their culture, that procedure is not very different than the procedure any other culture has experienced. And I think once you see that the journey was quite similar in senses of uh, recognition of your culture and whatnot, yeah. things start to bridge up more. So I think it would be to recognize that everyone should sort of work towards realizing there's more things that bring us together and make us common than make us different. Particularly okay. when it comes to religion and creed and ethnicity and faith, these things I don't feel like should be dividing factors, rather should be seen as sub-genres of the same thing, which is that we're all humans. And uh, maybe living in societies with different religions was a good show for that. It kind of made me realize that, for example, Abrahamic religions and their books being uh, the Torah, the Bible, the, the Quran are essentially updates of each other throughout evolution and throughout history. It's not like the Torah is different from the Bible and the Bible is different from the Quran. Rather, it's an evolutionary update of each other. So right. supposing that, for example, the Quran is uh, the last Abrahamic book that was to be de delivered, it's kind of like you have to accept uh, Christianity and Judaism for what it is to be able to understand what Islam is and vice versa. So I think it's this right. realization that everything is a trend. Everything is 
one linear line of, uh, of development that things don't separate us more than they bring us together. think on that on that topic do you think is uh, the issue is more that people uh, do not recognize that we have uh, a lot more in common than differences or is it or is it that the issue is um, it just takes a lot more effort uh, if you want to uh, to understand the other person I think about this question a lot, and I would actually suggest maybe to you and anyone else listening to read this very interesting book called Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. He's a okay. very interesting writer, and he's a thinker who actually tackles this very same topic. And he produces this sort of two-tier understanding that to me really made my almost third eye open when I was thinking about this, because <laughs> he made a point that one part of the reason why we tend to focus more on our differences is because mm. of an evolutionary process of feeling like we belong to a tribe. Humans are essentially created in a way that we are wired to feel like we belong to a smaller community. It's cozy. It makes us yeah. feel as if we're a part of something that is comprehensible within the human mind. It's very hard to think that we're all humans because right. there are humans we can come in contact with and we don't speak each other's language. So we right. have a problem of identifying how am I the same? Whereas it's very much easier to identify with what we How call different. a tribe. Yeah, tribalism. Yeah. And it's kind of part of evolutionary tract. So I feel like one part of the reason why we haven't been able to pass that is simply because of the evolutionary processes. Maybe we're not there yet. But yeah. maybe we've gone far enough to be able to actually hold discussions about this. And I think the second part just comes down into the fact that today's politics is a politics of identity. And mm. the nation-state concept very much helps for that to continue. We've been taught that we belong specifically to the borders that we live in. We are the yeah. product of the governments that rule us and our brothers and sisters live within those. But in reality, if we were to strip the borders, if we were to strip the governments, we are very much left with nothing but humans. So I think it has a little bit to do with an evolutionary process and maybe a little bit to do with it serves the greater interest of politics to divide people. Right you're able to control them to the needs that they have there's a very okay. famous thinker called uh foucault who has this concept of a docile but yeah i actually forgot his uh first name but his name is spelled f-o-u-c-a-l-t for anyone who wants yeah. to search him up and yeah. he has this concept called the docile body which is that we perform tasks and we serve interests without even realizing we're doing them for example when we walk into a university and we are um, sitting listening to a lecturer, no one needs to tell us that we're not allowed to talk over the lecturer. We just know that we're not allowed to talk over a lecturer. Or right. today, for example, with COVID, when we yeah. walk to a hospital, no one needs to tell us anymore that we have to wear a mask because we know that we don't want to seem different. It's this sort of herd mentality that humans are evolutionary made up of. And governments yeah. also realize this and companies also realize this. And I feel like that's why dividing is an easier strategy to keep things under control because All you're right. able to make people feel like they are serving a role. Whereas yeah. in, in the end of the day, everyone is human and there isn't very much dividing us. You know, we, we all have the same sort of general species evolution, you know, God forbid anyone who's going through uh, 
disabilities, and I hope they're doing okay. But the general idea is that you know we are all very similar in many senses, rather than things that make us different. It's right. just uh, an evolutionary process, maybe, and we're at the beginning of realizing this. Okay. All right. Well, um, that's a very interesting uh, exchange. Um, I um, I think we are we are coming to the end of our conversation for for this uh, this moment. Do you do you have uh, anything that you would like to uh, to say? Uh, just uh, a remark to the to the audience uh, and to myself. Absolutely. I mean, for the audience, I would say to definitely keep uh, on top of this podcast. I think it's a beautiful idea that you have. It really bridges the gap, especially in a time where we're all sort of quarantined to our own spaces. We we don't get many chances to be able to speak to people who maybe we don't see on a daily basis, like our roommates and our family. So right. uh, I would tell them to pay a lot of attention to what's happening here. I would also congratulate you and thank you for providing such an opportunity. It's meant a lot for me, as it's yeah. meant a lot for, I'm sure, a lot of people that have participated with you. And I'm incredibly excited to see what else is coming. I would love to listen to the other podcasts and hopefully in the future be another member. So thank yeah. you very much for all the opportunities that you have. Oh, wonderful. And uh, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you for making the time and uh, for your flexibility Always. with all the, uh, the changes that we had to make. For sure. And uh, I think this is one of the things that um, uh, I had in mind that and I want to continue where is not to make the podcast uh, as, a, as a formal platform, but is a, a semi-formal uh, platform where we yeah. can have an informal conversation, but we can also have the flexibility in terms of arranging when to talk, how to talk, uh, because uh, some of the people are in uh, very different parts of the world with the Absolutely. time differences and things like that. So uh, one of the things is the flexibility and the the other thing is the the informal setting, and this is one of the reasons why, uh, in the the title of the podcast, you find that uh, it's a beginner's mindset, yeah. where everyone is at the at the at the same level, but it's also a living room. So you are in my living room, or I'm in your living room, kind yeah, of. Yeah, digitally speaking, we're in yeah. the together, and yeah. I, I really like that. It's it's like a beautiful bridging between uh, distances that unfortunately are out of our control right now. And right. yeah, I love it. I think it's a beautiful idea. And I can only say that I've been happy to be a part of it. And yeah. I'm excited to see what else is coming up with this podcast. And, uh, like uh, maybe uh, I have mentioned maybe in our last correspondences before that in the very near future, we are going to have um, um, other set of conversations. And this is where I'll probably invite uh, anywhere between maybe two to three people to come on the podcast and uh, it will be a very brief conversation of uh, who the speakers are but then we'll just dwell on uh, specific topics uh, and the exchange will be around sharing the different point of views around the topic and I was just wondering whether you have any any specific uh, set of topics that you would like to take part in the future so that uh, when, okay. when the time comes I can uh, I can uh, contact you to see whether you're available to, to come on the podcast. That's a, an awesome idea, actually. I really like the idea of sort of like a conference conversation. Mm. Um, I think a lot of the topics that, like we said in the beginning, I didn't end up choosing topics with this, but I feel like we naturally gravitated towards the topics of, that I find a lot of interest in. And I think mm. a lot of it has to do with human nature and how 
uh, globalization has changed the way at least our generation thinks and how there's yeah. less dividing factors, perhaps because of the internet, perhaps because of being able to communicate seamlessly across borders and mm. uh, information exchange that is almost in instantaneous with the, with the internet. So I think a lot of my interest is rooted in that process of internationalization and how has okay. it affected um, youth and what will this mean for the future? But this, that can also mean bad things, for example, misinformation and how social media can often be um, by political candidates, by parties, yeah. by, uh, God forbid, terrorist organizations for purposes of misinformation. So I think the good and bad sides of um, globalization are topics that I really find a lot of interest in and how it affects the human psyche and how okay. are we evolving because of this new reality. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Yakiv. Always, always. Thank you. Oh, all right. Looking forward to have you uh, on the podcast again in the near future. Likewise. Looking forward to it. Okay. Bye-bye then. Have a good day. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.